I just wanted to share something about, about teaching, about preaching. Um, we've got a lot of people that have been joining uh, this congregation over the last couple of weeks and months. And one of the questions that people have been asking is like, it seems like in some of your church services you don't preach. Why is that? You know, sometimes you'll come in and you'll have testimonies or sometimes you come in and have worship. It's like, uh, and so I want to answer that question now. Um, in, in, in this church, we believe in the power of preaching. We believe in the power of teaching God's word because the Bible says faith comes by hearing the word and, and it's the word that's being preached. But here's the important thing about preaching. Preaching is intended to, to turn your eyes to a living person. Amen? It's not about information as much as it is turning your gaze to a person who is alive. And Jesus is not, a, not just a historical figure. He's sitting right now, breathing, seeing, hearing at the right hand of the Father. He's as much alive today as he was 2,000 years ago. And God wants us to know him relationally. And the Bible says because we are filled with his spirit, he's still teaching us. He is still speaking to us. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. And he's not talking about a past tense, you've got my Bible, so you'll sort of hear the echoes of my voice through history. He's not talking about that. You will hear his voice. You will hear his voice this morning if you're listening. And so we do believe in the power of preaching. But the purpose of preaching is to encounter Jesus so that you can experience grace, so that you can change. So that you can grow in your faith from one degree of glory to the next. And God speaks in a variety of ways. Sometimes you'll be in worship and God will speak. It's like he's shouting at you, it's so loud. You know, you've been there? Especially when you're fasting, you haven't got a lot of other things on your mind except for him. And so whatever he says, even quite softly, you're hearing really loudly. And so when we preach, it's for a reason. It's so that your eyes will be turned to Jesus and you will grow. Does that make sense? It's not just a formality that we go through on a Sunday. And so sometimes the Lord is speaking so loudly through somebody's testimony. And the Bible says the testimony is a testimony of Jesus. And you'll encounter the living Christ through that person's testimony in a way that you wouldn't have heard in a sermon that morning. Just depending on how God chooses to speak. Is that scripture which says sometimes he speaks through the hurricane, sometimes he speaks through the gentle whisper. But the, the, the discipline for us as believers is that whatever we're doing, we're listening. We're listening for the voice. And you know when you hear his voice, there's that resonance in your spirit like, yes, God. Yes, God, I hear. So sometimes somebody will share a testimony, will stop the whole meeting and say, guys, God, God, is, did, God was speaking through that testimony. Let's respond. Sometimes we'll be worshiping. And God will just begin to arrest people's hearts, sometimes even unbelievers. And we'll say, guys, is there anyone that wants to be saved? And, <laughs> and someone may, might be like, well, but we haven't even had the sermon yet. You can't, you can't be asking people if they want to get saved. We haven't. But God is he's working. He's moving. You know, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, they're praying. The Holy Spirit comes in power. No one had preached yet. But they began to preach shortly thereafter. Peter immediately stood up and started preaching the gospel and people were saved. Does that make sense? So this morning really feels like God wants to point us to Jesus through the word. Are you ready? 
We're ready. So the title of this message is The Real Jesus. The Real Jesus. And uh, what I really felt God lay on my heart was that sometimes we get an image of Jesus from our culture. From the things that we hear, from the things that we see, from the way that people act. Maybe from the way you were raised. Maybe from Sunday school. Maybe from watching The Chosen. Or something else. Uh, but, but the question is, and all of these things can have truth in them. But, but sometimes subtly without knowing it, our vision of Jesus gets too narrow. And there's certain aspects of Jesus which we love. And there's certain of aspects of Jesus which we don't even know about. And, but this morning I feel like the Lord wants to give us a vision of the real Jesus. And he's multifaceted. Just like people are, just like you are, just like I am. And sometimes when you get to know people, you get to know a certain aspect of them. And sometimes it can take a while before you learn something new about them. Um, Even this week, I was having conversations with people while we were eating together. And I learned things about people. And I'm like, are you serious? I, I didn't know that. And I feel like I've known you for quite a while. And if that's true of people, how much more with God? Amen? Even if you've been serving God for, for many years, don't fall into the trap of thinking you know God. Yet we know aspects of Him. But this morning as we look at Jesus in the book of Revelation, I, would, I am trusting that God is going to show us aspects of Christ that we maybe weren't aware of. And that we can worship Him as a response to an aspect of Jesus which we've not seen before. And it just, it it wrecks our heart in a good way. Worship is a response to a revelation of Jesus. It's a response. It's not something manufactured. It's not because of of the skills of the worship team. It's a response to a vision, a, a, a revelation of who Jesus truly is. And that's why testimonies can be so powerful. Somebody sharing a testimony of what God did for them. And you just, it impacts you, man. And you're like, man, God is amazing. And then people cheer and they, it's like somebody just kicked a goal, you know. Because it's like, it's, it's a fresh reminder of who God is. And so worship often comes from testimonies. But um, scripture is a testimony of Jesus as well. What you, what you often find with culture And cultural understandings of Jesus is they tend to swing from one extreme to the other. In the the beginning of my life, in my early sort of days and previous generation, the culture seemed to have a very reverential view of Jesus. He was very stern, very strict, very holy, almost unapproachably so. And in many cultures today, that is still the case. Because the cultures are stuck in tradition, right? And for good or for bad. In the modern day, there tends to be a swing to the other extreme where Jesus is very relatable. He's very familiar. He's very just like me. He's very just like you. In the chosen, that's how he is portrayed. Very, very relatable. His jokes are similar to my jokes. His humor is similar to my humor. He's, he's an everyday man, right? There's another ad campaign by a Christian organization in the U.S. that played in the City Bowl, uh, not City Bowl, other bowl, Super Bowl. 
Easy mistake, eh? Easy mistake. Super Bowl is like the biggest cultural event in America every year. I, I, say, I say to someone, it's like the Curry Cup, and they're like, not anymore. Like the Curry Cup used to be in the glory days. And, and the ad was about a Christian organization, and it was about Jesus, and the ad slogan was, he gets us. He gets us. And you can see the aspect that they're coming from is that Jesus is like you. He, 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 he understands you. You know, he's a man. And, and that is true of Jesus. He does get us. In fact, God, uh, he's revealed to us in Scripture as Emmanuel, which means God with us. He, he took on flesh. He's an empathetic high priest. Says he suffered what we've suffered. He does get us. It's true. But the danger with cultural definitions or or representations of Christ is that they do tend to be quite one-dimensional. And you can get so stuck in one aspect of who Jesus is, you can miss a whole other aspect of who he is. And we're going to look through Revelation now, and you'll find that that aspect of Jesus being relatable is still there. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. But there's more to him than that. So let's dive in. We're going to be chewing on Scripture this morning. So um, I did warn you. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. You're going to notice as we read this, it's so beautiful. It gives gives these little names and descriptions of who Jesus is. And each one is like a nugget. And we're going to appreciate them this morning. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him. This is talking about God now, God the Father. From him who is and who was and who is to come. That's how God the Father is described. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I'm just going to pick up on Jesus here because we're talking about the real Jesus this morning. The first title that it says there is he's the faithful witness. Jesus is the faithful witness. This was written to Christians who were being persecuted and killed for their faith. And so this letter is emphasizing, okay, but Jesus is the original martyr. He was the first witness that was killed for his faith. The word witness, the Greek word is where we get the word martyr from. Martyr actually means witness. But it's not just someone who testifies about the truth or about God. It's somebody who dies or is persecuted and suffers for his witness. And so Jesus is saying, if you're suffering, if you're going through trials, if you're being tested, if you are discouraged, look to Jesus. I am the faithful witness. I have suffered and I know what you're going through. And so look to me. And find encouragement. Look to me as the example of your faith. Your faith as somebody who has endured and has conquered and is now cheering you on and praying for you. Jesus is the faithful witness to God. Beautiful, hey? So beautiful. He's the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn from the dead, this is a beautiful aspect of Jesus because it means, and the scriptures, it says this again and again. He is our living hope. He's not dead. 
He's a, he is our living hope. Because Jesus was the first one to be raised from the dead, we have faith that we will also be raised from the dead. He was the first one. We are second, third, fourth, and count on to a couple of million after that, that will be raised from the dead. And this is a reminder that we don't just live for this life. Jesus didn't just live for this life. He lived for eternity, and he was raised to life by the power of God. And you and me, we'll die, but we don't live for this life. Even if we suffer and we're persecuted in this life for what we believe, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And there's a whole population that's going to repopulate planet Earth, and it's all those who have been reborn by the power of his Spirit. He is our living hope. Paul said, if we lose faith in the resurrection of Christ, our whole faith is meaningless. Everything that we do is rooted in the firm conviction that we will be raised with Christ one day and we will live in eternity with him. Amen? Ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is called the ruler of the kings of the earth. In another place it says he's the king of kings. He has authority over all authorities. There's this interesting exchange. I want to read it for you in John chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus is standing before the ruler of his day. He's standing before the Cyril Ramaphosa of his day. And this, this ruler had the power to put Jesus to death or to set him free. And the ruler was very conscious of his power. So he said to Jesus, Pilate, his name was, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Which is just another way of saying, do you know who I am? <laughs> you seem to have forgotten who I am. I have the power to put you to death or release you. And Jesus responds, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greatest sin. So Jesus just gives him a subtle reminder. All authority is given by God. And Jesus would go on to say that all authority has been given to me by my Father. And in this verse, we read that Jesus is the ruler he is now the ruler of all the kings of earth. And this is a powerful reminder for us because sometimes we put our faith in the wrong authority. It's come. Let's just point out the elephant in the, in the room here. You know, uh, we lose faith in the government and we like, our, our faith rises and falls depending on how well the government's doing or is not doing or how much their policies make sense or don't make sense. And our, and our joy can be tied to how well the government's doing or how well the government is not doing. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of this earth. He determines who, who rises and who falls. And that is a sobering and, a, and an encouraging reminder to us to put our faith in the king of kings. Amen? You might be passionate about who you vote for, and it's good to vote. It's one of our democratic rights. But don't forget who the king of kings is and who the ruler of the kings of the earth is. And then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, 
to 16, we get a vision of Jesus, which is incredibly, incredibly majestic, which we're going to turn to now. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Listen to this. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Isn't that incredible? Imagine looking at the sun. You can't. His face is like looking at the power and the radiance of the sun. That is the Jesus that we worship. I want to unpack each one of these things because sometimes we miss the significance. It says that he was like a son of man. That means he looks like a man, like a human, like, like, like a man. That's what it means. That, that is profound because we know that Jesus left the glory of heaven, took on flesh, and walked this earth. But did you know that he still has a body like a man? It's a glorified body but it will be recognizable as a man. It brings a whole new significance to that verse in John verse, chapter 1, verse 14, which says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Think of the significance of the fact that Jesus came to reveal God. To us. And in order to reveal God to us, he took on flesh. And he still has a body for the rest of eternity. Why did he do that? So that we would get a revelation of his Father. It's profound, isn't it? It's profound. He is still in a human body, a glorified human body, the first of many. It says that he is walking. Among the lampstands. This is incredibly significant for us right now. Because the lampstand is, is what? It's a church. Each church is like a lampstand. So here's the question. What is Jesus doing right now? He's walking around watching over us. The risen Christ the powerful Son of God, the resurrected King, is walking around watching over us. You're aware of the fact that He's probably, not probably, He is. He's watching over us right now. And the Bible says He's praying for us day and day and night. He is caring for us. He is, the Bible says He knows the number of hairs on your head. So yes, He's the risen Christ, but He's that kind of King that watches over his people. He is the head of the church. The Bible says that God gave him to us, for us, 
Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful picture? He is still the good shepherd. Walking amongst his people. Watching over us. Caring for us. Supplying us the grace that we need. Isn't that beautiful? He is watching over us. It says that he is dressed in a robe. Reaching down to his feet. With a golden sash around his chest. There's actually a mixed metaphor here. The long robe represents a priestly garment. He is our high priest who lives to, over, to intercede for us. He is our priest. Priest speaks of somebody who mediates for God's people on behalf of them. But he's got a golden sash around his chest which represents his authority as the prince. God's prince, God's ruler, God's king. So he is the priestly king, like Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a, was, a, was a type, a shadow of Christ. He is our priest, and he is our king. What is the significance of this? The significance of this, it's actually beautiful. It's, it's, it's insane. He is praying for us, and he is ruling over us at the same time. Isn't that incredible? He is our priest. That means he is ministering to us. He is praying for us. He is interceding for us. And he's our king who rules over us, who gives us instructions, who gives us commandments, who gives us laws to obey. That's why when we lead somebody to Christ, we ask if you want to make Jesus your savior and your Lord. Your savior who mediates with the Father, He's the spotless lamb that was slain. He's the priest and he's the sacrifice. He's the priest who offered up himself as a sacrifice for us to be forgiven. He's our savior. John the Baptist said, behold the man, the savior of the world. There's no other way to be saved than through Jesus. He's the perfect sacrifice. And he's our Lord. Which means we surrender, we bow our knee before Jesus and we worship him as our king. Our posture towards Jesus is you just say it and I'll do it. I don't even have to understand. You are my Lord. I pledge my allegiance to you. We pray the prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. You are my king. I bow before you and you are my Lord. And in order to be a Christian, Jesus has to be your savior and your Lord. I'll say that I think probably the majority of South Africa has made Jesus their savior but not yet made him their Lord. You can't have Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. Jesus said, if you don't obey me, you don't love me. If I'm not your Lord, you don't love me. You've got a sentimental view of who I am. I'm your Savior, and I'm your Lord. He's both. It says, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. Can you put up Daniel chapter 7 verse 9? It actually seems to be a reference or a quotation from Daniel. It says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels were burning fire. Why is his hair white? It's his wisdom. 
He is the ancient of days. It speaks about someone who is as old as time itself. Bible speaks about gray hair as being a sign of wisdom. Jesus' hair is white like wool. He is the ancient of days. The Bible speaks of him as the only wise God. This picture is of this man. Nothing's new to him. Nothing is new. Nothing catches him by surprise. He is the only wise God. He is majestic in his wisdom. White also speaks of purity. He is absolutely pure. He is absolutely spotless. He is absolutely sinless. He knows no sin. He has never known sin. He will never know sin. He is absolutely pure and his wisdom is perfect. His ways are right. His ways are ancient God's own wisdom. It says, his eyes were like blazing fire. His, uh, where are we now? There we go. It's the verse before. You remember when we read it though? His eyes are like blazing fire. Why are his eyes like blazing fire? They see everything. They see through everything. There is nothing hidden from the eyes of Christ. They are piercing. They are searching. They see everything. And they are pure. Fire represents the purity and the purifying gaze of Christ. Christ is looking over his church. He is also purifying his church. His eyes are a purifying fire. They see everything. I want to say that for us as God's people, we need to know Jesus sees everything. He sees through fake facades. He's not interested in external, put my Jesus face on, I'm going to church Christianity. He's got eyes of blazing fire. He's too old for that. He's too old for that. He sees everything. And so as Christians, we are taught to pray the prayer of David, which is, Lord, search me and know me. Know the hidden ways in me. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. God, there is no secrets from you. You know me. You know what's in my heart. I'm not going to try and do the Adam thing and hide. Try and do the Adam thing and blame your wife or blame your friend, or blame your past, or blame your church, or blame your circumstances. You can't, he, he's, he's too old for that. He sees, he sees through the facades. He sees through the fake justifications. The best thing to do when you're coming before a king whose eyes are blazing fire is just to yield to him and say, God, you, you know me. In fact, you know me better than I know myself. God, would you show me? Show me the hidden things in my heart. God, I don't even know what I don't know. And it feels like even this week, there's been a lot of praying like that. God, I don't even know what I don't know. Would you show me? And would you lead me? And would you forgive me? And would you wash me? And would you make me the man that you want me to be? God, there's nothing hidden before you. I can hide my stuff from people, but I can't hide my stuff from you. That's why also we are taught to confess our sins one to another. Because we bring things, we bring things into the light. 
We don't wait until we are found out in our sin. Why? Because God sees everything. God sees everything. And so we bring it into the light. And when the Bible says, when we bring things into the light, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with his bride. You can't separate the head from the body. Jesus is the head of the church. Amen? It's a sobering thing, but it's a beautiful thing. Jesus judges perfectly. Do you know why? Because he sees perfectly. When you come before a judge on the earth, he only sees the evidence that's presented to him by the lawyers. Jesus doesn't just see the evidence that's presented by the lawyers. Jesus sees everything. Which is why when every person stands before Jesus on that day, it says every mouth will be silenced. Because this judge didn't just hear what the lawyer said. This judge saw everything. (laughs) And so we won't have any issue with him judging him. We'll have issue with the fact that we found guilty. But we won't have issue with the fact that he, he is an impartial judge. We'll be satisfied that he knows, he knows. And, and, I, and my mouth is stopped before him. My, my, my confidence is not in my own righteousness. It's in the righteousness of Christ. It says, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. This is an interesting one. Why does it talk about his, his feet? And what significance does his feet being bronze and having been refined in the fire have to do with anything? Feet in scripture represent a purpose represent my ways the ways in which i walk and it is saying that god's ways jesus's ways are perfect bible would say his ways are higher than our ways sometimes we don't understand his ways sometimes we are offended by his ways but jesus would want us to see this morning his ways are perfect His ways are burnished bronze, refined by the fire. And his ways, there's a permanence and a stability to his purposes. His purposes are always fulfilled. His plan for the end of the ages will come to pass because he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And his, his purposes, he has the power to fulfill his purposes. Amen? like the Lord wanted to emphasize that this morning. Sometimes it's hard to trust God. This vision of Jesus reassures us that, yeah, I don't always understand, but his ways are perfect. His ways are perfect, and in hindsight, they often prove themselves to be beautiful. It says his voice is like the sound of rushing waters. Rushing waters. If you've ever stood next to a powerful waterfall, represent the awesome power of God. The awesome, life-creating, life-sustaining power of God. The recreative power of God. It says that by a word, Jesus spoke this entire universe into being. So to say that his voice is like rushing waters almost feels like an understatement. (laughs) It's atomic power, but even that won't really suffice to talk about the power of the word of God. It says in Psalm chapter 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. 
Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Why? For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. This is the real Jesus, guys. He's not the, he's not the, the meek, suffering servant right now. He is the risen Christ. And his voice is like the sound of a powerful torrent of rushing waters. I said it last week. I'll say it again. His voice inspires confidence and peace in us. And terror to his enemies. There is a frequent occurrence in scripture of the enemies of God seeing him and screaming in terror. But to us, it's reassuring. His power is reassuring for us because we are in him. We are in Christ. And the Bible would say, if he is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? If Christ is for us, even if the whole earth is against us, Jesus is on our team. We win. Amen? His, out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. That speaks about his judgments being perfect. The judgments of Christ are perfect. I've already touched on this. Because he is perfectly his, his, his sight is perfect. Because he sees perfectly, he judges perfectly. But it also speaks about his word, the spoken word. Both the words that he is speaking now, but the words recorded in Scripture. Don't they have this way of reading you? When you read Scripture, you come to Scripture to learn and to read the Bible. And you read it and it's like it's reading you. And the words of Christ have that ability. The Bible says to divide even soul from spirit bone and marrow. It's got this way of separating what's true from what's false. I want to say, guys, the word of Christ is still today able to separate from what's true and what's false. If you're very confused right now in the world by all the information that seems to be conflicting with each, each other, go to the word of Christ. It's a sharp, two-edged sword. And it will divide between what's true and what's false. You will find a surety in what you know and what you can know for certain because of the word of, of Christ that has spoken and continues to speak. It says in, in John 1 verse 17, this is John, by the way, John the disciple, the disciple whose nickname was the, the, the disciple whom Christ loved. Sees the resurrected Christ, this vision of Christ with a face like the blazing sun. He sees this vision of Christ, this Jesus who he knows, right? Because we know Jesus, right? John knew Jesus, right? He sees the risen Christ. And it says, when I saw him, John saw Jesus, who he spent three years following, walking behind, sleeping on the ground next to Jesus, hearing everything he taught. He sees a vision of Jesus and he falls at his feet as though dead. Why? Because he is now the victorious, risen Christ. And all authority, all power has been given to him. And it says that he laid his right hand on me 
Jesus, he bent down and he put his hand on little John there, shame. He was like quivering and looking like he was about to die. He, put, he puts his hand on him and he says, don't, don't be afraid, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and I'm alive forevermore. I love this last part. And I have the keys of death in Hades. And so there's this curious thing about the revelation of Jesus. And I'll, I'll try and summarize it in the words of that famous song, Amazing Grace. It says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace that my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. When, when you see the real Jesus, it inspires terror. Because you realize he's pure. His eyes are blazing fire. He's holy. He's holy like I will never be. He's holy like I never dreamed he could be. Like I never dreamed anyone could be that holy. And in the presence of a holy God, you feel so unworthy. You feel so disqualified. You feel like lightning bolts are just going to strike you dead on the spot. And that's the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And then he lays his hand on you. And through faith in Christ through faith in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, through a true recognition of who he is and a true recognition of how rotten I am. And by trusting in him, he says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. And even death belongs to me. Jesus says, scriptures say, Jesus has conquered death. As Christians, we don't even fear death anymore. When the Bible speaks about Christians dying, it says they fell asleep. And that sounds like a euphemism. It is and it isn't. We fall asleep here and we wake up in eternity. Amen? We don't even fear death anymore. But it does take a revelation of Jesus, the living one. He said, behold, I died and I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Hades speaks of the place of the dead. The dead belong to Christ, and he determines where they go, where they live, and how they live. And for those of us who are in Christ, we know Jesus, who holds the keys of death and Hades. And so our eternity belongs to him. I want to encourage you in that, guys. We, we don't fear death. Death is not the worst thing that happens to us as Christians. There are far worse things in this life for us than death. Death is probably one of the things we should fear the least. Jesus owns death. He's, he's got it in his hands. We fall asleep and then we go and live with him. Jesus would say, you know, um, what does it profit a man if you gain, gain the whole world but you forfeit your soul? That's what you should worry about. Is, is other things capturing your heart. But death, Jesus owns it. Amen? He said, I'm the first and the last. Because Jesus knows how this story ends. He knows how this story ends. Jesus is the one that is guiding the whole of history to his end. I'm the first and the last. He is already at the end of history. We're still in trepidation, worrying about what the future holds. Here's what the future holds. Jesus is the beginning, and he is already at the end. He knows what the end looks like, because all of history is in the hands of Jesus. He is guiding it to his own ends. And his end is that we, his 
kingdom. We, his people, would live with him in the new heaven, in the new earth, and that he would be our God and we would be his people. And that all evil, all those who cause evil, everything that is evil in the world will be removed by Jesus himself. Death itself will be conquered. Sin itself will be conquered and removed. All his enemies will be trampled under his feet. And he will reign for the all of eternity. That is how the story ends. Amen? We don't fear what the future holds. Because we know the person who is holding the future. I should, probably, I should actually write that down. That's a good Facebook, that's a good Facebook quote. Someone write that down for me. But it's true, isn't it? He holds, he holds the future. As you have that old song, eh, Hans? No, no, not that one. No, no, not that one. <laughs> yes, I know he holds the future. Before your time. Because he lives. Because he lives. How does it go, huh? Yes, there we go, there we go. We're going to close with some prayer, and just a few things to ask you in response. Remember I said the reason why we preach is not that you can go home with your mind full of new information. This is, a, this is the real Jesus, guys. It's who he really is. So any cultural perceptions of Christ that do not line up with the word of God, we have to say, God, thank you. Thank you for showing me who you really are. There will almost always be something about Jesus that makes you uncomfortable. There are aspects of Jesus that make me uncomfortable, but yet it's still true. And so, Lord, this morning, we want to acknowledge that you are seated at the right hand of the Father with eyes like blazing fire and you are walking between the churches whom you love. You are praying for us. You are our high priest and you are ruling over us. You are our king. We surrender to you this morning. We confess, Lord, that you are the only wise God and we trust you, Lord. We trust you, Lord. Lord Jesus, where, where we have wrestled with fears of the future, an unknown future, we acknowledge that you are the beginning and the end, the living one. We acknowledge that you are the ruler of the kings of this earth. You are the king of kings.